Hey guys, we are so glad you're here with us at Journey Church Online. If you're interested in getting more information about Journey Church, we have a messaging service where you can text the phrase, My Welcome to 94000. This will help you get to know a little bit more about Journey Church. Also, if you want updates texted to your phone about what's going on here at Journey Church, please text the phrase, My Journey to 94000. As we get ready for today's message, take a minute and share this video with someone. The small action of sharing this video on social media could be the start of life change for whoever sees it. Now, let's take a look at what's coming up around Journey Church. Lately I've been really watching the nightly news. Don't seem to find the rhythm. Just want to sing the blues. Feels like a song that never stops. Feels like it's never gonna. Gotta get that fire, fire back. Amen. Who chooses joy? Man, I do. Woo! I choose joy. I like that, man. I love it. Hey, listen, we are so glad you guys are here today because we have a, a choice, right? You chose to be here. If you're online, you chose to be a part of this service, and we're glad that you chose here. But here's the thing. Choices can be good, but we can choose to have the wrong attitude. We can choose to not honor God. But God says, hey, listen, choose joy. Philippians says, choose joy. And so for many of you, you've made that choice today. You've said, you know what, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to spend this time to hopefully hear from God, to draw near to God, and to learn from God, and to learn from His Word. And so we, we make that choice every day. And here's the thing, it can't be just Sunday morning during this time. It's got to be moment by moment throughout each day. We go, you know what, God, I choose joy. I choose Jesus. I choose to live like Him. I choose to live for Him. I choose to honor Him with my life. And so that should be our choices. So this week we're going to pick up in the second chapter of Philippians. Pastor Daniel did an incredible job last week of kicking off our series, Choose Joy. And so look at what it says here in Philippians. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, or your hearts tender and compassionate? And so then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. And here's, here's what I love. What Paul is saying, hey, listen, is there any joy out there? Is there any, you know, comfort? All these things. And those are rhetorical questions. Does anybody know what a rhetorical question is? All right, I never did. People say, hey, is that a rhetorical question? I'm like, what does that mean? You know, so let me give you the definition of a rhetorical question. It's a question asked in order to create a dramatic effect or to make a point rather than to get an answer. All right, so there are times that there are rhetorical questions. Isn't that what Paul is doing? He's saying, listen, is there any comfort? We know there's comfort in Christ, right? If you're a believer, if you put your faith in him, you know, man, there is incredible comfort. There's peace that passes understanding. Man, there, there's joy. There, there's an excitement. There is a confidence. There is a peace that we can say, you know what? I have that because of Christ. So it's a rhetorical question. You know, and I've often wondered, you know, about that rhetorical question. There was times people would say, I don't know if that's a rhetorical question or not, because I'm not, you know, I'm not an English guru by any stretch. I remember one time, Laurie and I 
we had a we had a dinner planned and uh, we were inviting over a pastor friend of ours. It was a pastor that I worked with. I was on staff at a church. We asked the pastor and his wife to come over and eat. And Lori had prepared this really nice meal. And uh, this friend of mine at the church had this little machine. It's called a flagellance machine. You may know what that is. And anyway, so you push this button and it made a flagellant sound. I don't know if you know what that word means. You may be like me, kind of challenged Englishly. But anyway, so anyway, so we have that and I have it in my pocket. And we're sitting at the table. And uh, anyway, every couple of seconds, I'd hit that that button, and the pastor's wife would look at me, and she'd go like, "Mike," and I'd be like, "I'm sorry," and I'd look over at my wife, and Laurie's looking at me like, "What in the world are you doing?" So she's eating, and then finally, I hit it one time, and she looks at me, and she goes, "Have you lost your mind?" And I'm like, "That is that is that is my wife." So I lose it. It's taking all I can do just to hold it together. But she's looking at me like, "Have you lost your mind? What are you doing?" There's the pastor and his wife, and I fixed this nice meal, and you're you're acting like a, a middle schooler. And uh, and so I think that was a rhetorical question because I think she knows I have a mind, you know. But there are times that I wonder. But I think she was what you know she was making a point. And so here Paul is making a point. He's like, "Hey guys, is there any comfort in Christ?" Man, is there any, is, is there any, you know, unity when the Spirit is working? Is the Spirit at work around you? Come on, guys. Yes! Obviously it is. And so he, he, he's driving it home. Look at what it says here in this next passage. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Let me pause it right there for a second. So here, here's the thing. Paul is saying, hey, listen. If there, if you, if you have this comfort from knowing Christ, if there's unity in the Spirit, if there's all these things, then act like it. He said, hey, listen, act like you have Jesus living in you. Act like there's something different about you. You live out your faith. Live it out in such a way that the world goes, you know what? That guy's different. That lady's different. There's something about them. And, and so what he said, hey, listen, don't be selfish. And we all know that, man, we can be selfish, right? I mean, we don't have to battle it. It comes so easy. And so Paul is saying, listen, don't be selfish. Don't make it about you. And so many of us could probably relate to this. You know, if somebody brings a pizza out and they lay it down in front of you, immediately you're trying to pick out which piece you want. The one that has the most, you know, pieces on it, right? Most, whatever. And you're going, hey, you know, that's my piece. You stick your finger in it or lick your hand or whatever. And so we do that. Or either you start doing the math. All of a sudden you become a math guru and you're like, hey, listen, there's four of us and I'm trying to figure out how many pieces each person gets. Make sure they don't get any more than that. You become the pizza police all of a sudden, right? And so because it's about you, it's not about every, you're not trying to make sure everybody else has got their piece. You're just trying to make sure you get your pieces, right? And so he's saying, hey, don't be selfish. Don't make it about you. Don't try to impress others. He said, hey, listen, don't make it about you, but make it about other people. And, And some of us might say, well, you know, it says don't try to impress others. You might say, well, but I have the gift of hospitality. Here's the thing about the gift of hospitality. When you're doing things to make something a good experience for somebody else, it's about them. Now, if you make it to where it's about how you're trying to impress them with how good you cook and you have to tell them how you cooked everything and, all, and it's all about you, then you've lost the perspective. So here he said, hey, don't be selfish but try, and don't try to impress others, but make it about them. In other words, that you're focused on them. That you want it to be a good experience for them. You want them to, you know, to walk away going, you know what? They cared about me. They blessed me. You know, we've got journey feeds going on this morning. And, uh, many guys walked past that or saw that. And, uh, you've got a little card there that should talk about it. And so here's what happens a lot of times is we, you know, we say, hey, listen, that's a great thing. And I hope somebody helps them out. But what we're challenging the church to do is to not just give what we don't want, to maybe give what we would want. See, that goes back to not being 
selfish. I don't know about you guys, but there are times whenever you have to get a garbage can in there and you pull it up to the pantry. And most of our pantries have plenty of food in them. But what we do is we open up the pantry and we start looking through there and say, that's out of date, that's out of date, that's out of date. You start throwing food away because we are so blessed. I mean, all of us have got way more than we deserve. And so we start throwing food away. And then whenever there is a food drive, oftentimes what we'll do is say, hey, listen, well, I don't really like this and I don't really like this. And that's what we give because it's about us, right? Rather than what we would want. We give what we don't want or what we can get rid of rather than what we would want. So therefore, we're still making it about us. So again, Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress us. He says, be humble, thinking of others as better than you, better than yourselves. He says, hey, think about other people as better than you, better than yourselves. Make it, you know, make it about them. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You know, and we have a tendency to, to do things for what, what, motive, you know, what, what's best for me. And what, and what Paul is saying, hey, listen, make it about others. And God has this incredible way with it. Whenever I'm, I look at meeting the needs of others, he meets my needs. You know, when I was growing up, I, I've shared this many times, I was insecure, super insecure. I didn't want to get up in front of people. I didn't want to go to the mall by myself. I didn't want to walk in front of a, you know, I'd go to a football game and didn't want to walk in front of the crowd to go up to sit down because of my insecurities. You know, and my thing is, I thought, hey, all those people are looking at me. They weren't looking at me. They were looking at a football game. But because of my insecurities and because of what I had listened to for much of my life, I thought that, you know, that meant I was this or I was that. And I had to find out what Christ said about me. And God began to change the way that I thought about myself. But I'm just telling you, because of my insecurities, I often tried to find something wrong with somebody else. And so whenever I meet Laurie, we're in college and we're dating, and I would have a tendency to try to find something wrong with somebody else. And she asked me one day, she said, why are you always trying to find something wrong with somebody else? She goes, does it make you feel better about yourself? And I'm thinking, where did that come from? But she was right, I did. Because if I could find something wrong with somebody else, it made me feel better about myself, which is sick. And if that's the way you are, I'm telling you, you're, you're entangled in insecurities, and you're always trying to find something that's about you rather than trying to find something to celebrate about someone else. You're trying to find something you can criticize. And so Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Uh, you know, and like I said, we want to be, you know, we want to make an impression on people. And we want people to see that we've been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. We want people to see that, you know what, that we have, we, we have died to self and that we're, we're trying to live for Christ. We want people to see it, so we want to make an impression. But the thing is, is too often we make that impression about us. And so look at this statement here. It says, not all ambition is selfish ambition, but it, it is if it's all about promotion of self, and it can be. So in other words, if it's all about promotion of self, then ambition can become something negative. Ambition can be something positive, but selfish ambition, in some translations it uses selfish ambition right here, it can be all about us. And so here, look at this conceit, talks about an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability, importance, wit, and so forth. In other words, you have, you think too highly of yourself. Scripture even says, don't think too highly of yourself. It says, hey, listen, don't sit there and put yourself up on a pedestal. Don't think you're all this, you're all that. And oftentimes what we do is we tell everybody how good we are. That becomes arrogance and boasting and pride, right? And so, if anything, we're to humble ourselves, walk in humility the way Christ did. But the thing is, is conceit. If when we're conceited, you know, it's like we're looking down, we're condescending, we're kind of looking at everybody else as less than us. And I'm just telling you, that is not the way that Jesus does. And maybe what this world teaches. 
And too often, I'm just telling you, the church looks like the world rather than like their king. Too often, we, we resemble the world more than we resemble our Savior. We represent the world more than we represent the one who has redeemed us. And we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to, to die to this selfish ambition. Help me to not be conceited, but to be humble. Look at this last statement here. Ambition. We can have ambition like Paul to glorify God and to serve him with everything we have. In other words, he set goals, right? He said, man, for, you know, if I die, I'm just telling you, it's better for me. Because I get to go be with Jesus. I get to go be with him in glory. He said, but if I live, it's better for you guys because I get to pour into you. I get to invest in you. I get to serve you. And so Paul says, hey, listen, should I die? Should I, you know, either way, I choose joy. Either way, I'm going to glorify God. Either way, I'm going to give it my all. If it's to go home, man, I'm going to give him all the glory I got. If it's to stay here, I'm going to give him all the glory I've got. And so I'm just telling you guys, we have to make that choice. And we, we need to set goals. I mean, I think it's important for you to set goals maybe, you know, emotionally, relationally, financially, physically, whatever it might be. You set those goals because if you never set any goals, you'll never strive for anything. So we set goals and we try to work towards those goals. And they need to be attainable goals. Don't, you know, don't set goals that are so far out there that you'll never get there so you don't even try. But what you do is you set attainable goals. And when you get there, you celebrate it. You celebrate the moment. You celebrate what you've accomplished. And then you set the next one. You know, and so you, you celebrate those goals. And so commitment is a big deal. But here's the thing. We are to be like Christ. So our goal is to be, choose to be like Jesus. Jesus was humble. Man, he, he modeled humility. Jesus was, the, you know, he was, he was God who would literally become man. He would, he would give up his privileges. Look at what it says here in in, in Philippians. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's not a suggestion, by the way. It says, you must. That's that's a directive. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Jesus, you know, we're going to say, you know what, I want to, I want to be like Christ. I want to be a Christ follower. Then that means that we are willing to give up things and sacrifice things at times. We're willing to sacrifice things that we think are, hey, are all about us. We say, you know, it's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. You know, hey, I've been, I've been wanting this or I've been wanting that. I've been saving my money. But you know what, there's a need ministry-wise or a family that can't, uh, that can't, feed themselves or they don't have a, a roof over their head or whatever. And we say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. And I, and I love there's times when I'll see things happening, you know, and I watch a life that's been changed, invest in a life that's been changed. And I go, you know what? That's the kingdom of God at work in front of me. And I don't know about you, but I love to see the kingdom of God at work. I love when people say, you know what? Hey, there's a need. Let's give to meet that need. Or let's, hey, let's go together and let's help that family. You know, last week, you know, there was a storm that blew through and some of you guys got out and helped, you know, people that needed help. You became part of the kingdom of God at work right there in front of people. And people were looking at it and going, wow, the church responded. People stepped out. People stepped up. So Jesus literally, he, he, he literally gives up these privileges, the privileges of heaven. So Jesus modeled, Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. When we look at this, this, this next statement here, he's the ultimate example of humility. You know, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we celebrate him, right? Amen. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We glorify his name. Our job is to do everything we can to make Jesus famous. When we gather here, let me tell you, when we plan out services here, 
You know, our whole goal is, hey, how do we bring glory and honor to Christ? How do we make Jesus famous in this place? When we do things in this community, it's not about making Journey famous. It is about making Jesus Christ famous. That's our job. And so we want to glorify him. So the ultimate example of humility is Jesus who would leave heaven to come here to redeem you and to redeem me. And so he gave up. He gave up the privileges of heaven to redeem that which was lost. He gave up being in heaven to come to a broken world, to a sinful world, to a corrupt world, to a wicked world. To an evil world, to a place where, you know, people did, they despise God. They would worship anything and everything. And He gave up heaven to come and be among us, to communicate the gospel to us, to share with us the hope that we can have in Him, the peace that passes understanding. Here's, here's something I want you to understand though. He didn't give up His deity. Jesus did not give up His deity. He was still fully God, but yet fully man. He clothed himself with humanity. And so here, here is God of the universe, the God of, of, of all creation. It says Jesus was at the beginning. He was there in the beginning. And so Jesus was literally leave heaven, leave the privilege of being there. But here's something. He didn't give up his deity. He was still fully God. He could still speak and calm the storms in life. He could still speak and, and, and heal the lame or the blind. He could touch someone and forgive their sins. He could, he could still do all that he could do. When he was God, he did not give up his deity. He was still fully God, but yet he was fully man. So don't ever miss that. Somebody says he gave up, he emptied himself of everything. No, he did not. It would be kind of like a, a king who goes out in among the poor and he puts on you know, clothes to look like a beggar. But yet, here's the thing, and he may leave his crown you know, at, back at the palace, but whenever he goes out, he is still royalty. And he still has authority. And so Jesus, whenever he left heaven to come here, he still had all the authority that this world will ever see. And so he still had the ability to change lives. He still had the ability to heal and to create and to calm. So he did not give up his deity. Here's the next one. He modeled being humble to the world. What an incredible example. You know, oftentimes we look for, hey, a model. How do you do this? You know, this this person models this. So in other words, whenever they model that, then that's what we are to duplicate. We're to try to, we're trying to duplicate what this person's done. They're a model, you know, citizen. They're a model whatever. And so oftentimes we see that, oftentimes if you're building a building, they'll create a model and they'll show you what it's going to look like. And so you look at that model and say, all right, that's the example of what it's going to look like. And then they begin to create it. And so Jesus, he was humble. He was humble to, he was humble in the fact that he was born in an obscure, oppressed place. You know, we're about to celebrate Christmas, right? Now, some of you guys have already started. I know. Thanksgiving's not here. I get it. You know, but I like Christmas. Let me, let me just say this. You know, I'm, I'm all about the songs that really point to the Savior. You know, Christmas songs that have meaning. You know, and it's not just about a cozy get-together, but it's about the Savior of the world being born. But here's the thing is when we see that, it says he was humble and he was born into an obscure, oppressed place. The announcements were made... To stinky old shepherds. Hey, the Savior of the world has been born. And it's been announced literally in the heavens to a bunch of stinky old shepherds. They had the night watch. He was placed in a little manger, a feed trough. There was no room in the inn, so they're in this barn, if you will. And so here's the thing. God could have said, hey, listen, I'm going to put him in, I'm going to put him in the palace. I'm going to put him in the best that there is. 
That's where he's going to be. That's where he's going to lay his head at night. But instead, he didn't even have a bed. He's placed in a feed trough. And so just everything about that is humility. And so here's, here's one who has left the privileges of heaven, who has given up to come here to be a part of something. I think about, you know, hey, what, what have we given up? What, what have we given up for the kingdom of God? What have we given up to pursue, uh, you know, Christ? And what have we given up to, to be on mission? I, I think about missionaries. I don't, I don't know if you think like that, but I think about missionaries who have put their, you know, maybe their, their plans on hold. Or maybe they've said, you know what, I'm going to go do this. And I, I had a girl that was in my youth group. And it was Carlin. And Carlin ended up marrying a, a doctor, you know. And so I'm sure the parents were pretty excited about that. And they're like, you know, hey, what, she married a doctor? Man, it's going to be easy street or whatever. And so a couple of years in, he was making really good money. He felt a call to missions. And so they literally pack up. And he and his wife and his kids end up moving to Ethiopia to be a doctor in Ethiopia. And so her dad, who was a good friend of mine, called me. His name's Pat. And Pat said, he calls me. He's frustrated. He said, man, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I'm upset with God. I'm mad at God. And he begins to talk about how he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this. He said, and as he's kind of telling me what's going on and what he's struggling with, he said, you know, I can remember, Mike, whenever I was, whenever she was born, when Carmen was born, I held her up and I gave her kind of like the Lion King thing. I said, Lord, she's yours. You gave her to me. I'm giving her back to you. He said, but there's a part of me right now I'm regretting that. And the more that we kind of talked through, he said, I think I'm answering my own questions. I said, you are. I said, you're, what you're doing is you're remembering your commitment that you gave her to the Lord. He said, yeah, my, he said, but my kids, I mean, my daughter and my grandkids are on the other side of the world. I only get to see them a few times a year. And I said, I understand. I said, but dude, they're making a difference for the kingdom. He goes, you know what? You're right. And I know that. He said, but I'm just telling you, my flesh is having a tough time with that right now. And so, question jesus gave up heaven to come here what are, what are we giving up what are we giving up for the kingdom what are we willing to say you know what god help me to be humble help me to die to some things that are about me and make it about you look at the next one here he was humble in that he was born into poverty among a despised people he, he was he was born among a people that had been persecuted but a despised people that god didn't put him in a palace where there's gold laying everywhere now there's frankincense gold and myrrh that gets brought to him by wise men but the thing is that he didn't have all this wealth there wasn't even a room for them to stay in remember he was raised in poverty and most of us would say hey if, if i had the choice i would come in and i would stay in the lap of luxury but god said humility is what jesus will model and so he he came to a despised people. Look at the next one here. He was humble in submitting to the obedience appropriate to a child in the household. Can you imagine being the mom and dad for Jesus? Can you imagine that? I mean, they know. Remember, they know that it's God's son. You know, I mean, I bet you Joseph's like, man, I'm not, I'm not spanking anybody. You know, I mean, we're good. <laughs> you know, I mean, he ought to know better. You can say that. that he, you ought to know better. You're God. You know what I'm saying? So the thing is, is. Can you imagine being that parent? But here's the thing. Jesus submitted to the authority of that home, you know, and was raised in obedience as a child in a home. And so he, God, God of the universe humbles himself into a baby who grows up into a child who would literally be taught how to be a carpenter, who would have chores to do. And I mean, I can't imagine being the parents of the son of God. That's unbelievable. He was humble. Look at the next one. He was humble in the companions and disciples that he chose. I mean, he, he didn't choose the elite. He didn't choose the celebrities. 
He chose fishermen, commercial fishermen. Be like going down to Biola Battery down here and say, hey, listen, you know, walking around and say, hey, listen, I want you to follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. He went to tax collectors. He went to the people that people hated and said, hey, listen, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to come and help me reach this world with the message of the gospel. He would invite prostitutes to come and be a part of this. The people, the ladies of the night that, you know, everybody would be like, hey, listen, we don't want to have anything to do with her. She's trashy. She's whatever. He said, hey, listen, I want you to come and be a part of this. He, he was humble. And the people that he chose, a lady gets down and washes his feet with her tears. She begins to dry it off with her hair. And people were looking at him like, why is he letting her touch him? But he said, this is who I came for. And he was humble in the people that he hung out with. And so there are times maybe that we look for, hey, who can we say that we know? Are are you a name dropper? You like to let people know who you know or that you claim that you know? But Jesus was about the least of these. And and so he was humble in the companions. Look at this next one. He was humble in choosing and submitting to the death of the cross. Now, there are, some, there are a lot of us in here, you know, we, we see the cross and we see it completely different now than it was seen then. You know, now it's, it's something that's uh, beautiful. We see it as a symbol of hope and freedom and forgiveness. You know, maybe you got a necklace on today. Maybe, maybe you got a necklace or maybe you got cross earrings or maybe you got a cross at your house or, you know, something like that. We have one out in front of the church. It has purple flowers around the bottom. I always think, you know, it just reminds me of royalty. So we celebrate the cross today, but back in the day when Jesus was coming and when Jesus was born, they didn't celebrate the cross. They feared it because the cross was the ultimate death and the ultimate shame. You know, we, we've, we've, like I said, we've glorified it. God's, God made what was you know, seen as, as horrible as something that is unbelievable and beautiful to us today. See, God changes everything. But in the day, the Roman cross was so bad that Roman citizens could not be crucified. They didn't want them to stoop to that level, not a Roman citizen, but the rest of that trash that oppressed, despised people could be. They could be nailed to the cross. Their crimes would be held above their head. And and here's the thing. You know, we often see Jesus with like a sash around him, like a white linen wrapped around him. But most likely they were hung naked there in front of everybody to be ultimately humiliated. That's our Savior who chose to lay down his life. And let me just say that he, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't say that they forced him on the cross. They had to hold him down and now, but he chose to lay down his life for your sins and for my sins. He chose to leave heaven. He chose to become a baby. He, he chose to be a child. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to die so that we might live. He laid down on that cross with you and me on his mind. Even as he's hanging there, the guys that nailed him to the cross, he goes, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It wasn't about self. It was about redeeming everyone else. He was humble in choosing that death. Look at what it says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11 here. It says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. I love this passage here where Paul is saying, hey, listen, guys, listen, he humbled himself. He gave everything up. But here's the thing. When we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. When we humble ourselves and we come before God and say, God, I'm a broken man. 
And God, I'm in need of a Savior. He will literally take us and he will heal us and he will lift us up. And so Jesus modeled that whenever we humble ourselves and we empty ourselves of self and we make it about the kingdom of God, that meant God is glorified and God will literally, he will bless you. And so he gives Jesus this name that is above every name. Men, at the name of Jesus, men will be saved. At the name of Jesus, that demons will flee. At the name of Jesus, man, things will be torn down. Strongholds will be ripped down. At the name of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully you're not one of those that takes that name in vain. But you realize, man, the name of Jesus saves souls. The name of Jesus is powerful. And it's effective. And here's saying God has given him that name. Jesus is the name above all names. And whenever we take, we should never take it in vain. But if anything, we ought to go, Jesus, it is because of you. Jesus, you are the one who can change people. You are the one who can change men's hearts. You are the one who can change a nation. You are the one that can change the world. He is the only one that can. It is the name of Jesus Christ. It's not any other guy's name. I think too many of us put our hope in politics. And we put our hope in some guy's name. And what he claims that he will do. That oftentimes they never follow through on. But Jesus always followed through on everything. He finished everything that he set out to do. And he offers to you and he offers to me salvation. And he offers us peace. He offers us comfort. He gives us everything that we need. This past week, you guys know there was an election. And I don't know about you, but we had work to do. We had a job here. And so what we do is we, on Tuesday, we have staff meeting and we plan out these services. And we want these services to honor God. I said it earlier, we want Jesus to be made famous. So most of the day, I wasn't worried about an election. I voted. I did what I was supposed to do. But here's the thing, I trust God. I lean, I lean into the name above all names. That name is the one that matters. He gets my vote. You know what I'm saying? And so I lean into that name. And so then that evening we had a, a men's group that meets. It's a, it's a life group. And what we do in that life group is called the pursuit. We talk about how to share the gospel with people, how to share Jesus with people. And so we gather, you know, at Fat Boys Barbecue down here. We're down here sitting around a table and we're talking about how, how Jesus can change anyone and that there should be life change. Just like Paul's talking about today. There should be change. There should be a difference in you whenever you accept Christ. And so, man, I had peace there. We weren't talking politics. I walk home. I get home and I walk in the door. My son was asleep. He wasn't watching the election. He fell asleep with something else on. So I went in and I got a shower. And you know, I went in the room and I started watching a couple of hunting videos, to be honest with you. And I was like, you know what? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bed. Well, Laurie walks in. Laurie goes, hey, are you not watching the election? I was like, you know what? I voted. I've got peace. I'm trusting God. God's in control of this. So I... I'm, I'm trusting that Christ is in control. He is the Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. He is the one that can handle this. I'm not really going to change anything. And she goes, well, I'm going to watch it. So she went and watched it. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning. So what I'm saying is because of Christ, I have peace. I have peace. I have joy. You know why? Because I choose joy. That's what this whole series is about. Paul saying, hey, listen, choose joy. He's in prison. Remember writing this letter? He's in prison saying, man, I choose joy. If I die, I die. If I live, I live. Man, whatever, I choose joy. And so I love this. Look at Philippians, this next part. It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important that, it, more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power, don't miss that, power, to do what pleases Him. God is working in us. Daniel said this last week, God is working around us and God is working in you. And so here's the thing, he's saying, listen, the power to do what pleases him, there's power in you. There's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us if you're a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you, if you never put your faith in Christ, you don't have this. 
You're missing, you're on the outside looking in. And you go, man, you know, I would like to have that. And I hope whenever people are on the outside looking in, they look in, they see Christians acting like Jesus, not like the world. And too often this past week on social media and everything else, I've seen too many Christians acting like the world rather than acting like their Savior, who is humble, who is considering others better than himself, who is literally saying, hey, listen, it's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. I'm willing to lay down my life. And so when we, we look at this passage, we see, and, and let me, let me sh- say this. He's talking about working it out. So look at this next statement right here. It says, this is not to work for their salvation in the sense of accomplishing it, but to work out their salvation, to see it evident in every area of their lives, to live it out. In other words, we're not, you're not working out your salvation by, hey, I gotta earn, I gotta get there. Jesus took care of your salvation whenever he took care of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, and whenever he was resurrected from the dead, and he literally came out of a borrowed tomb, he took care of that. So all we have to do is receive the gift of salvation. It's by faith that you're saved. Nothing else. You don't earn it. You can't go to church enough, can't memorize enough scripture, you can't do all these things, but you can receive the gift of salvation. But what Paul is saying, hey, listen, Man, it, it ought to be evident, it ought to be clear that, man, you've been saved. It ought to be evident to the people around you that, man, Jesus has come in, therefore it is working its way out through every area of your life. Hopefully, when people see you before you get saved and they see you after, they go, something's different, something's changed. It is evident that, you know what, God is working in you. That's what Paul is saying. It should be evident that you're not the guy you used to be. You're not the lady you used to be. There's something changed. There's something different about you. Look at what it says in Philippians 2, 14th here. It says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Does that sound like you? Ask yourself, is that me? Do everything without arguing and complaining. Or do we argue and complain? Hey, listen, I need you to take the trash down. Hey, I did it last week. Can somebody else do it this week? Or someone asks you, are you or maybe you go into a restaurant and you say, hey, listen, I need a table for five. And they say, hey, well, listen, that's going to be about 30 minutes. Are you kidding me? Does that sound like you? That probably sounds more like you than this, right? Right? Sometimes we walk in and, man, it doesn't take much to push us over the edge for we're, we're arguing and complaining and we're running things down. But that's not what Paul says. He says do everything. He didn't say just the Sunday stuff. He didn't just say the, you know, the things that we think, you know, that people see. He says do everything without complaining and arguing. Whenever your boss says, hey, listen, I need you to take care of this project and I need it by such and such date, do you go, do you start complaining or do you go, got it? Got a few questions. Can I ask those? All right, let's get it. So that no one can criticize you. So here's, he's saying, hey, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Truth in that, right? He said, hey, listen, man, shine. Let your light shine. Let people see that you are different. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let, let people see that. It says, hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the word of God. Hold firmly to Jesus is what he's saying. Jesus is the word. It became flesh, right? Hold firmly to that. Not to the things of this world. Too often, if we were to look at our lives and really examine them, we would say, you know what? I'm really more focused on the things of this world than I am the things of God. I'm really more focused on what the you know social media says or what the news says than I am what the word of God says. And so, God, will you help me to focus on these things that matter and these things that will last forever? Rather than these things that are only temporal. God, help me to focus on the word of God. But it says, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's turn, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. So what Paul is saying, hey, listen, guys, I've invested in you. I've poured into you. 
listen, live your life in such a way that, man, I'll be proud of you. That I won't be embarrassed of you. But, man, I'll know, you know what, I didn't do this in vain. And so that's his personal plea. Hey, listen, live out your faith, please. And I'm just telling you, I would say the same thing to you guys. Live out your faith. Let people see Jesus in you. Let people see Jesus in you. Look at this next part here. It says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Here he goes again. He goes, man, I'm choosing joy. Even if I die, if I breathe my last, I'm telling y'all, I'm making the choice. I'm choosing joy. I'll rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. How we live, how we live is an offering to God. How we worship is an offering to God. But our life, our life, how we live is an offering to God. And he said, man, it's beautiful. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. He said, hey, listen, you should rejoice. You should be excited about it, and I'm going to rejoice with you. As you celebrate the things that God is doing in your life, I'm going to, share, I'm going to joy, uh, celebrate it with you. Pastor Daniel gave us this definition last week, joy. Joy is the emotion evoked by the prospect or anticipation of possessing what one desires. In other words, you're looking forward to something. Man, we look forward to heaven and we have joy because of what? You know what? We know where we'll spend eternity. We know that when we laid our head down on our pillow at night, you know what? If I breathe my last, I get to go be with Jesus. That's what Paul was saying. Man, if I die, I get to go be with him. If I, if I stay here, I get to be with you guys. So it's a win-win situation. And so what he's saying, hey, listen, we've got to choose joy. We've got to choose joy. Joy is a choice. Every day, every morning, tomorrow you're going to get up. There's going to be a storm maybe. There may be something blowing into your life. Are you going to choose joy? Are you going to focus on Christ? Are you going to focus on what the world says? Are you going to focus on social media? What if everybody in this room spent as much time reading the Word of God as they read social media? Or if they spend as much time reading the Bible as much as they listen to the news? What if you just did half of that? What if you took half the time you spent on social media and you put it into God's Word? Do you think you'd have a better return? I can promise you you would. If you put half the time that you put into watching the things that are on TV and you put it into reading God's Word and applying God's Word, I'm just telling you, you get a better return. And most people like a good return. Like if you're investing in something, you want a good return, right? Most people do. And so I'm just telling you, if you would invest in reading God's Word and applying God's Word, you'll get a better return. So, so look at this, this, this next statement here. I love this statement. When our heart has been wrecked by the gospel... Of Jesus Christ, our lives are changed forever from the inside out. In other words, we, we just can't, we, we're not, we're never the same. A few weeks ago, I was on a pheasant hunt in South Dakota with a bunch of pastors, and it was an incredible time. Probably one of the best hunts I've ever been on. And we all, each night, we would share a little bit of our testimony, and, you know, and, and, uh, and anyway, so I'm telling them about me getting saved. And, uh, I get emotional, I get choked up. And, and I said, man, I, I said, I've never gotten over it. And I would tell you the same thing. I've never gotten over being saved. And I remember people asking, you know, telling me that they thought, hey, you know, in a couple of weeks, Mike got religion, so in a couple of weeks we'll see if it's real. I heard a guy sharing his testimony the other day. He was talking about when his dad got saved. He said, you know, we thought this is going to be like all the other ones. He's going to be, he'll be back to the same old, same old guy in about two weeks. He said, but it wasn't. He said, a year went by, two years went by, three years went by, four years went by, five years went by. He said, my dad was changed. He went from being a drunk to being a man of God. He said, I'm just telling you, he said, when God wrecks you with the gospel, it changes everything. And and I'm just telling you, this statement, everything's changed from the inside out. If you're just trying to fix it in your mind, hey, I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to do this. All that stuff will run out of gas. But when God changes your heart, 
It starts on the inside and begins to work its way out. It becomes evident to everyone and everybody. You know what? There's change taking place here. God is at work inside. And the more that he works inside, the more it shows up in our smile. The more it shows up in our eyes. The more it shows up in our actions. And so when, when God changes our heart, it changes our actions. When, he change, when, our, when our hearts are changed, our actions are changed. How we act, how we do things, you know, what's important, all those things change. And so when our heart is changed, our actions change. Here's another one. When our, when our heart changes, our words change. You know, when I was in high school, I wasn't one who cussed a lot, but I let a few fly. Sometimes it was just kind of to fit in, you know, just try to be cool. And then sometimes it was just out of anger because I was mad. But I wasn't one of those guys who cussed all the time. But let me tell you, whenever I got saved at the age of 19, God changed my words. And it wasn't just the profanity. It was the coarse joking. It was the things that, you know, at one time I may have thought were funny. I no longer was like, you know what, not going there. And so God changed my words. How I talked about people began to change. Before I was really critical of people. And God began changing it. Like I said, God was still changing it whenever I met my wife. He used her to bring about change to start seeing people differently. And I'm just telling you, if Jesus changes your heart, he changes your words. So if you've got a trash mouth and a filthy mouth, you might say, well, Mike, I was in the Navy. You know how it is. No, I know how Jesus is. I know that Jesus can change your mouth just like he can change anybody else's. He can change anybody. And he changes us from the inside out. Here's another one. We change, when our heart changes, not only are our, our, our words change, but our values change. What's, what really matters changes. When our, when our values change, it's no longer about money. It's no longer about, you know, impressing people. It's no longer about, you know, whatever the world says is the most important thing, but it's about what God says is important. The souls of men. You begin to worry about, hey, where's my friend going to spend eternity? Where's my family going to spend eternity? Where's my son, my daughter? Where are they going to spend eternity? Because the Bible says that people will spend eternity in one or two places, a place called heaven or a place called hell. There's two things that will last forever, the souls of men in one of those two places and the Word of God. And so all of a sudden we begin to put a value on the Word of God rather than social media and everything. We begin to go, you know what? The Word of God is what matters most. It's what changes lives. Jesus was the Word, became flesh. He can change men. This past week I had a guy shoot me a text laurie and i were having dinner together and shot me a text he said hey listen um he said you got a minute to talk and i said i'm having dinner with my wife i said can i call you in about 20 and he said yeah he said i hate to interrupt you I said, man, it's not, no problem i said i'll call you in a few and so i called him and we were talking he's like man he said uh he goes i don't have anybody else to call he said but i i, I just and it's like he, he goes i don't know what i need i just need something and he said i guess i need a scripture and in my mind i'm thinking you need scripture but you need the scripture that became flesh. You need Jesus. And so we kind of talked through that conversation. And he was telling me a little bit about what was going on in his life. And I had an opportunity to, over the phone, lead him to Christ. He was in our, he was in our first service this morning. And, and, and so I love the fact that man, his focus was changing because his heart was being changed. And I'm just telling you, man, if you're here today and you're, you've never allowed God to change your heart, you've never let Jesus come and enter into your heart. You're missing out on the best part of the living here. You're missing on the best part of this world. is a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Here's the last one. And when our heart changes, our focus changes. It's no longer about me. It's about others. It's no longer about how much I get out of this. It's about what others get out of this. There's another passage. Look at this passage here out of Matthew. 
It says, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. See, it's not about you doing something so that people will look at you. You're doing things so that people will look to Jesus. We don't go on mission trips so that people will look at us and go, man, those are some good people. We do that so that people will look to Jesus. We do things so that God is glorified. In the last part of the chapter here, Paul is talking about Timothy and uh, Ephroditus, and he's talking about them, and he's pointing out what he has seen in their lives of these guys. He sees them as being faithful, and he sees the life change that has taken place in them, and he's writing back to the church at Philippi, and he says, hey, guys, these two young men, man, I'm telling you, there's something special about them. They've been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. And I I want you to give them the credit that is due to them. If you get a chance, go back and read the whole chapter, chapter 2. If you want to read chapter 3 for next week, we're hitting it as well. But he said, hey, listen, these guys are sharp, man. they got it going on. And he said, I want want you to see. I want you to see these guys. One of them I'm sending back to you. He almost died. You know, he, he liked to have lost his life. And he needs to be honored. So what Paul is doing is he's saying, listen, I've seen change in these guys. So my question, and this would be the question for you, what do others see in you? Have they seen change in you? Are you still the same? You're still just as mouthy, still just as foul mouth, still just as selfish, still much, still just as arguing and complaining as you've ever been, you're still just as un- ungrateful, unfaithful, or do they see change? They see lives that have been changed like these guys. Where people go, man, you know, there's change there. They're just not the way they used to be. And here's the thing. We're all being changed and transformed daily. Hopefully I'm more like Christ today than I was last week. And every one of us ought to have that desire. God, I want to be, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. Be a better wife. Be a better mom. Be a better sister. Be a better brother. But it's not because you're just going to try to work at it harder. But you say, I want to be more like Christ. And therefore, if I'm like, more like Christ, then I will be those things. Here's a couple of next steps. They're pretty easy today. Number one is just choose Jesus. Let that be your choice. Man, I'm going to choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. Therefore, you choose joy. Here, look at the second one here, though. Choose to be like Jesus. Be like him. I'm going to choose to live and respond in a way that Jesus would. I will say, and what would Jesus do? And then the last one is that. Just choose joy. If you choose joy, you choose Jesus, right? If you're saying, I choose to be like Christ. I choose to live for him, to honor him, to glorify him. I choose to die to self. I choose to crucify the flesh. And I want to be alive to the Spirit of God. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. Now I'm telling you, Jesus is your choice. You might think, well, I just need a good scripture. You need the scripture that became flesh. You need Jesus living within you. The presence and power of the Holy God living in you. And you can receive that gift. It's a gift. We don't earn it. We receive it. It's a gift. It's a Jesus. I want to put my faith in you. Jesus, I trust you to save me. I believe that you can change me from the inside out. And I want to be your witness. I want to be an example of your grace. I want to be a witness to my family, to my friends. I want to be a light in a dark world. I want to ask you if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. And just right where you're at. Maybe you're online, you're watching this. Just bow your head, close your eyes, and just say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I have blown it. So, Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you come into my heart? Will you be my leader? Will you be my Lord? And forgive me of the sins I've committed. And his answer is yes. And he, he, he chose to lay down his life on that cross so that you could be forgiven. 
And then here's the next choice. Maybe you say, Jesus, today I want to live for you. I choose to live for you and to live for you from this point forward. That's repentance. That's turning to him, living for him, honoring him. If you've accepted Christ, amen, we want to know. We want to walk with you. We want to celebrate what he's doing inside of you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the fact, God, that you chose, Lord Father, to, 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 Jesus, you chose to leave heaven, to come here, to take on flesh, to, to lay down your life on a cross that we might live. You defeated death. You defeated hell. You defeated the grave, the power of the resurrection, which is available to us. God, thank you for loving us, forgiving us, and giving us peace. So, Father, we pray right now. I pray if there's anybody out there that's put their faith in you today, that, God, we would, they would let us know so we can celebrate with them. We know that all of heaven rejoices and celebrates. So, God, we want to throw a party for them. We want to see them go through the waters of baptism to follow the very example that Jesus gave. Jesus himself was baptized. So, therefore, we follow that example. God, help us to be a good ambassador, a good representation of Christ this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for such an incredible message, Pastor Mike. If you just made a decision to follow Christ, we want you to know it's the greatest decision you have ever made. And we want to help you with your next steps. If you'll text the phrase, my decision, to the number 94,000, we would love to help you as you began this journey with Christ. Now we're going to bring our tithes and offering to God. I want to encourage you to trust God completely in this area of your life. And we do that through our giving. Now we've made this super simple. You should see a link on the screen and in the comment section to the Journey Church Giving page. There you can return God's tithe and your offering. If you need help learning how to give online, we have several videos on our YouTube page. Your giving allows us to continue to make an increasing impact for the gospel. And so take that step right now and allow God to bless your obedience. And again, thank you so much for joining us online today. We will see you right back here next week. If you have kids, I want to encourage you to hang out for the Journey Kids service. Pastor Nate and our family team have been working hard all week to provide a service just for them. And your kids are not going to want to miss out on what's coming up.